Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis EPL Podcast. We are the Thinking Fans Podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, academics, and stat heads. In the end, we want to provide thoughtful, hot takes about football. Today, I'm joined by Premier League analyst Harshel Patel. In addition, I'm joined by Sam Brotherton, a professional center back and cleanup on aisle nine scrubber from North Carolina FC. Finally, I'm joined by Dre Fortune, a professional midfielder for North Carolina FC and teller of the future. I am host Chris Mumford, known as the professor. Bella Ciao. During the second week of the restart, teams have found their groove. Against Liverpool, Man City put down a marker for next season. Against Crystal Palace, Leicester righted the ship with a precarious three-point hold on a Champions League spot. Man U was feeling the young forward love as they trounced through relegation-threatened teams. Even Arsenal found its mojo with several wins. That is not to say that all was well. Chelsea got stumped by a London rival, while the Wolves were upended by some Londoners as well. The hand of VAR impacted the fate of Tottenham Sheffield United. Meanwhile, relegation-threatened teams went 2-1-10 this week. Ouch! Let's get into the delicious details. Harshel, can you get us started with the Brighton Man U game? Absolutely, Chris. And... I mean, as a Manchester United fan, it's been a pretty good week looking at the game against Brighton and then again when we talk about Burnley game as well. And what's been interesting for me is that um, we've seen United struggle a little bit against teams where they have the majority of possession. We've all seen how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has set up United to do well against the likes of City and Arsenal uh, and uh, even Liverpool who dominate the ball and then United can counter. But earlier on in the season, the, the Red Devils were sort of struggling against teams which sat back and allowed United most of the ball. Even in this game, in the game against Brighton, I believe United had uh, about 60-odd percent, yeah, 60-odd percent of possession. But they used it really well, which is what I was really happy to see. Um, Solskjaer named the same starting eleven that he had done in the previous game. Uh, and uh, we saw the same tactic where Matic, Nemanja Matic was dropping into the back three. Uh, and uh, I mean, dropping into the centre-backs to make it a back three. And that was allowing Paul Pogba to get up higher up the pitch and allowing Bruno Fernandes um, to be able to affect the play in the final third. And then you had uh, the fullbacks in Aaron Van Bissaka and Luke Shaw also getting up forward, which was again then letting Mason Greenwood, uh, Marcus Rashford and uh, Bruno Fernandes get into those half spaces, which we've spoken about as being so important. So it was a really good performance from United in terms of controlling possession, creating chances. And... In the second half, when Brighton changed their formation and actually had more of the ball, United tore them apart, apart on the counter-attack. And we saw that for the third goal, where Matt had just played that beautiful pass out to Greenwood, who ran on, crossed it, and then Fernandez scored. So, United are showing that they have um, all the bits and pieces that they could sort of, you know, that team needs in their attack and in possession to break down any sort of team. Dre, what's your take on, on Greenwood's development and how Bruno is finding his, his groove? Um, I think Greenwood's definitely emerging and showing that he's very clinical in front of goal, uh, both left and right foot. He scored some really quality goals this week. I think the one against Brighton was well taken. Um, good individual effort, running at his defender and creating space for a shot and snuck it near post. I think he fooled the keeper a little bit there from that angle. Uh, Bruno Fernandez is, you know, since he's came into the team, he's been really influential in the midfield, 
helps them create chances. He can score goals. He's a, he's a midfielder that many really needed. So I think um, they're all starting to work well together. And when they need individual efforts, they're all capable of providing them. Sam, I wanted to break down that third goal. It was a, a Matic to Rashford to Bruno. Uh, basically, three passes, five touches, and a beautiful finish. Where was Brighton's defense in that situation? What's what's your take on what happened there? Yeah, they were definitely uh, caught in transition. I think you said um, you mentioned the kind of the passing sequence, but the speed with that with that happened um, was pretty impressive from United. So yeah, Brighton were caught a little bit out of position, but I mean, also I think if you look at the ball, um, the ball and the finish. Obviously, Fernandez hits it one time. Um, it doesn't give much time for the Brighton defense to kind of recover. So yeah, I think you have to give them. Um, you know, I have a little bit of credit in that instance. And yeah, I don't know. As, as a goalkeeper, you're, you're pointing a lot of fingers at defenders here. But um, Matt Ryan did lead a couple in his near post earlier. So it kind of uh, affected the flow of the game. So I don't know if you want to want to speak speak to that. Yeah, I mean, the near post thing I, I've, I've mentioned before is, is like pulling a scab off of a goalkeeper's arm. I mean, it's just painful, painful. Um, because there's there's such an important kernel of truth to that, you know. That I think the rule a keeper should never get beat at the near post uh, is is a fine rule to have if you don't mind giving up extra goals in the far post. Uh, so I, you know, I think the trick is is discretion. I think in those particular circumstances, it's 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 hard to say. You know, I I I'd probably in in the instances we talked about is that near post but if you overplay your near post so so much you're going to give it up on the far post um so yeah. it kind of comes down to the individual situation there it's fair enough i know i know dre enjoys shouting at a goalie when he gets beat by his near post so uh, just, <laughs> it's just one of those things yeah i mean i i definitely think it's a it's becoming more of a mind game as well i mean particularly for greenwood's goal as he shifts the ball to his left foot Obviously, the keeper is, you know, going to shift a bit to the far post, anticipating that. And as an attacking player, I think you also have to respect, you know, being aware of that and then taking advantage of that situation. Well, in that in that particular goal, that the ball went through the legs of the defender, right? Mm-hmm. And you've also got to keep in mind if you get beat to the near post, that's because it's getting hammered there, right? And if you don't have a sight line and there's a defender there and it goes through the legs of the defender, it's yeah it's a little hard for the, for the keeper to kind of get to, to, to lay, lay blame on that. Um, I, you know, I, in, th- in that situation, I just chalked that up to Greenwood and just handled that brilliantly. That's one of those uh, good shot. You pick up the ball out of the net and you say, let's go team. That's actually you know, you really- sort of, uh, sorry, you go on, Sam. No, you go ahead, Archer. I was saying that that's actually become a bit of a trademark for Greenwood. He's done that earlier in the season as well. I can't remember the team, but it was in the Europa League where he did a similar finish, came in from the right, made it seem as if he'd go for the far post and snuck it in at the near post. Um, and he's and he's completely two-footed. And we'll talk about that later on when we speak about the Burnham game as well, that his finishing ability is abs- he's already a very, very good finisher, even though he's just 18 years old. Yeah, and I'd say that second goal, uh, the Fernandez uh, shot just outside of the 18 where nobody picks him up and there's traffic going on. You know, I don't get the sense that the keeper had a great sight line there. And in those situations, when I have a bad sight line, I take two massive steps up and I hope like heck that ball hits me in the chest or I can get a hand to it. 
you know, there are a couple instances in games this week where defenders were sitting back uh, kind of deep and uh, just a lot of noise going on in front of you. It's hard to find the signal of that shot once it gets taken. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the, the next game, uh, which was the Chelsea-West Ham. Uh, you know, we would reserve this for David Seymour. We may have a moment of silence or a few seconds of silence for David who couldn't join us today. But um, Harshel is going to pick up the slack and tell us what happened in that game. I think more than moments of silence, I think it's moments of celebration because <laughs> his team, West Ham, absolutely pulled that one out of... Out, I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting a West Ham win there, even though it is a London derby and it's sort of uh, feistier and more competitive than usual. Mm-hmm. West, this this game, this, this uh, win for West Ham, I think is almost guaranteed them Premier League safety because... They've got three points, which the other teams around them aren't picking up, and they're out of the relegation zone. And they're quite—I think they're what five points clear at the moment. Uh, yeah, the four, uh, five points clear of the relegation zone at the moment. So, I—I uh, I really think that this win could help them stay in the league. But looking back at the game, you'd have expected West Ham to stay because you've seen Chelsea have problems against teams with a deep block. I actually expected West Ham to do that and stay deep. But they actually started out by pressing quite high up the pitch. They only moved back into the sort of defensive deep block midway through the game. But they actually came out and were looking to engage Chelsea uh, high up the pitch. And uh, I wouldn't really say from a tactical point of view, I wouldn't really say that Chelsea got anything wrong in that sense. But uh, it, it came down to individual errors. I think all three goals that West Ham scored and they had one that was disallowed on the corner as well. were down to sort of disorganization at set pieces and individual mistakes where, for example, for Yamalenko's goal, I think Rudiger was at fault in terms of how he was covering Yamalenko. And Yamalenko is left-footed, and but he allowed him the space to get that shot away. And as for set pieces, it's well documented that Chelsea have a problem defending set pieces. And uh, Lampard, Frank Lampard actually said post-match that Chelsea need to sign players who are taller because they have, I mean, that's literally all they could do at the moment to stop their set-piece issues because they have, they've they got some really poor marking schemes going on as well. You had, I think, Cesar Aspilicata marking uh, Thomas Suset who got the goal, the first goal for West Ham and there's easily a 6-8 to eight inch difference in height between the two of them. So there was a lot of mismatch going on at set-pieces and uh, there were individual errors. But from, if I were a Chelsea fan, I wouldn't really worry too much because I didn't really see too much wrong tactically. There were individual errors and they probably need to work out their set-piece deficiencies, but uh, it was still a decent performance from them. Although West Ham obviously played better. Sam, Sam what's, your, what's your take on, on the need for, for taller defenders or it, can that be fixed with better, better tactics or technique? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough because I think Aspilicueta was actually pretty tight to Sujic on the goal. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's hard to... To say he wasn't marking or he wasn't he wasn't tight, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he could consider a, more of a zonal uh, system instead of going man to man and having um, the taller players like Rudiger in there and asking him to go and find the ball and attack it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's difficult. I think uh, Kepa also comes out off his line and kind of gets caught in no man no man's land. Sorry, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Taller players are obviously going to be more beneficial as set pieces, but you want good players at the end of the day, not just just tall players. So. That's kind of one fact to consider. Okay. And just for the record, Sam, how tall are you? 6'2". <laughs> cool. Good Good to know. And, and what was your take on, on Rudiger on that, that last goal with Yarmolenko? 
Yeah, I mean, um, as Harshal said, Yamalenko is a left-footed player, so obviously in an ideal world, you want to force him away from the goal onto his right foot. I think Rudiger tries to do that. Um, you, when you have a forward kind of running full pace at you, it's, it's more difficult than, uh, than maybe it looks. Or even when you know like maybe Yamalenko is going to cut inside on his left foot, that's a likely uh, kind of outcome. It's, it's tough to defend. So, yeah, I mean, I think he could have done better, obviously, in that situation. But I think what you've also got to consider, like, it's it's pretty difficult. I yeah, I, I would imagine – sorry, Dre. I, I would imagine in the 80th minute, remembering that he's left-footed and could come inside and you're a little out of position, it's – you kind of got to give the defender the benefit of the doubt there. But, Dre, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to kind of agree with that. I think it's a little bit tough. I mean, if you if you look at the goal, uh, Chelsea's 2v1 at the back, and then West Ham's wide players break, and it seems like none of Chelsea's midfield really recover, so it becomes 3v2. And uh, Rudiger's always in recovery mode at that point. And, you know, at this level, Yarmolenko's inside the box at that point. You can't really... Yeah, you want to force him right, but at the same time, I mean, at this level, I'm sure he's capable of scoring with either foot from that close to the goal. So it's it's really difficult to say that um necessarily say he's at fault. But uh yeah, I mean I I think he can definitely try to get a little tighter, try to keep him on his right foot. But yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I gotcha. Well, good. Well, let's go ahead and sh- um, shift over to the Tottenham Sheffield United match. Harshal, walk us through that, please. Yeah. So. This one, um, I think VAR had actually quite a bit of impact in this game. We saw Harry Kane's goal being ruled out uh, because it, the ball in the build-up, the ball hit Lucas Moura's arm, who was on the floor. And in my opinion, that was not a handball. I mean, the ball was literally hit at him when he was on the floor, and obviously he was—he's not really looking to handle the ball there. And we saw quite a few other instances of, the, of that sort of thing um, happening in the Premier League this weekend as well, where, where handball was given for balls that were hit at pace at players who really couldn't get their arms out of their way. And I think there needs to be, um, I think the law needs to be changed because it's the, it's not the, that the VAR is doing anything wrong. It's just the way that the law is worded at the moment that makes these handball offences when they shouldn't be. But coming back to the tactics in, in this game, I thought um, Mourinho might have missed a trick in terms of the of the of the makeup of his attacking lineup because he started with uh, Steven Bergwijn, Lucas Mora, and Youngmin Son, all three of them behind uh, Harry Kane, and he had Sissoko and Lucelso in midfield. So what that did was that all three of the guys playing behind Harry Kane are wingers, so they look to get obviously onto the wider areas. They're not, and I think Bergwijn was the guy was the player playing as the number ten as such, but he's not a number ten, and we saw. A lot of times where Spurs could have created uh, chances because they had managed to get in behind this behind the Sheffield United midfield with the guys who were on the ball or the guys who were receiving the ball, their body position or their uh, orientation was not in the correct way to be able to take advantage of that sort of thing. Whereas I think if it was a Dele Alli or even a Los Elso was playing you know, further up the pitch, they're much more accustomed to playing in that sort of position and playing as either a one-time pass, uh, a first-time pass or receiving the ball in a way where they can then play Harry Kane through or play one of the wingers through. All three of these guys are not used to playing in those sort of areas. And I think um, Mourinho might have missed a trick or I think it just came down to the personnel maybe not suiting the attacking uh, positions they were put in. But uh, Sheffield United did really well. I think Spurs, uh, the defending for two of the goals was horrible. Um, 
they completely lost their players in in the six yard box, which at this level I think is, is really criminal. As and I think it was uh, David McGoldrick's or Ollie McBurney. I don't remember which goal it was, but one where I think there were three Spurs players in the vicinity of the player on the ball who got on the ball. I think it was McBurney, and neither of them got anywhere close to him. So I think the defending was was not really good from Spurs in that sense, and uh, Sheffield United made them pay. Um, Sam, let, let, let's let's break break the, those down. I mean, that that first goal was was Berga finished from twelve yards in traffic. Uh, it was cut back. Um, there were ample defenders on the six yard line. Um, what what do you, what what's your take on that particular goal? Yeah, I thought the first goal was a good finish. Um, like you said, there was defenders available, and maybe they could have got a little more pressure on the ball. Um, I was probably more concerned, not concerned, but. Uh, I think there's more kind of blame to to share on the the second two goals, which were kind of similar in that they were kind of uh, loose box defending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the defenders are in the box. You've got to get tight to a man. You got to get tight to the striker. You got to find him, and you got to let him. You can't let him get a shot off. And I think they haven't a couple of times. So yeah, um, that yeah, was. That- and I'm sure Mourinho was was absolutely raging after the game because you know he prides himself on his his defensive um, setup and kind of kind of keeping clean sheets and supposed to give up some really soft goals. Yeah. I, that first goal to me, I mean, the, the Tottenham defense was actually pretty well organized. They just happened to be on the six and there were two or three Sheffield United players sitting on the 12 waiting. Um, the second goal, that Musa goal on, on six, you know, it seemed like Dyer was in the right position, which was between the ball and the player, but just kind of lost, lost the sight line on him. And Musa was able to, uh, to finish that. As far as that third goal, it was McBurney just seemed to be able to get to that near post half a second faster past the defender, whom I can't remember if it was Sissoko or, or who it was. But there you just maybe need to say to McBurney, good good hustle on, on getting getting to that near post just a little bit faster. Um, but I, I would likely agree with you that it seemed like some some loose defending and, and that third goal – to the near post sometimes is just it's unfortunate when defenders lose their man that's when i think keepers get a little bit out of shape um because there's a tendency including the keepers to ball watch rather and keepers oftentimes will look at the ball they won't shoulder check to see where the runs are being made so they can kind of anticipate where the ball is going to go um and that was also reflected in that final goal um with with kane that sun to Kane piece. Um, but that's just, you know, I, I think there's something that strikers have that innate uh, element to find the open space and be able to, to, someone like a Kane can take the step at the right time to make sure they're the right time at the right place. Um, let's go ahead and switch gears, Sam. Tell, tell us about the, the Liverpool Man City game. Yeah. Um, I think it was a, a very exciting fixture. Kind of a little bit of the gloss got taken off of it after uh, Liverpool had kind of already won the Premier League. But there was kind of a lot of stake still for both teams with Liverpool kind of chasing Man City's records and then Man City had, what had a point to prove on their, on their home turf. So, um, yeah, I thought Liverpool really started the game pretty strongly. They came out. Um, they were positive. They pressed. They counter-pressed. And they really kind of exploited um, Man City's high line. So they had a lot of opportunities. Um, I think the the big difference in the game was Man City were a lot more clinical. Um, Gomez obviously makes a bit of a mistake for the penalty. 
um, kind of rescued her to grab ceiling shoot in the box. And then, unfortunately, from there, Liverpool kind of folded a little bit. I would like to see them be a little bit more resilient and put up a fight. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to appreciate they're playing such a good team as well. Um, I thought it was int- interesting to note kind of how Man City played. They obviously started trying to play, play out the back early. They didn't have much success. Liverpool were kind of making forcing turnovers, um, forcing them to make some mistakes. But they were really, really effective in transition in this game, which kind of isn't something we're used to seeing from a team um, coached by Pip. So, yeah, that was interesting, I thought. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Dre, what was your, what was your take on the game? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that last piece in particular. I think City were really uh, potent in transition, and typically you don't see that from them because they usually have the ball all the time. But um, they, they made really good use of those opportunities, and I think uh, some really good individual plays. I mean, De Bruyne had an excellent performance. Sterling, Foden, uh, you know, they, they all really stepped up and, and provided goals when, when their team needed to. And I mean, I'm, I'm happy about it. Sam's probably not as a Liverpool fan, but yeah, I, I think City had a good little run out. And, uh, they, they definitely showed that they're not going to allow Liverpool to run away with, it, with the uh, Premier League next year. So I, what I was really struck by is Salah had just two amazing opportunities very early in the game. And Ederson makes a freakish save and reminds us that he's Ederson. And then the other one goes off the woodwork. And... That's kind of why you got to play soccer matches, right? Because of of chance, the ball bounces a certain way. If one of those goes in, the composition of the game changes dramatically. Now, as you guys know, I'm a fan of goalkeepers um, in this particular case, and I'm a ginormous fan of Allison. Um, but I, I will say that if if you could make some, give some notes to Allison, it it would be on that uh, that fast break from Foden to Sterling. Um, Gomez was on Sterling and uh, Allison chose to came out to come out and his, his, his feet weren't set. And, you know, uh, Sterling just wanted to get it on frame and it was a bit of an ugly shot and it just went to Allison's right. All is that if he said, if he stayed set, he might've had an opportunity to, um, to stop that. Um, that's also the same case to a lesser degree with that, f- that give and go uh, Foden KDB to Foden. Um, Allison cuts off the angle beautifully, but um, you know uh, he, his his feet were still moving underneath him when the ball was moving. Um, I don't even know if Allison was able to set his feet if he would have had a chance because Foden was just so incredibly clinical on that. And Sam, I want to reiterate your point. I just find it so strange that seeing Man City not being able to build it out of the back, which demonstrates when Liverpool decides to gag and press effectively, they're they're just absolutely ruthless. That being said, if I'm Real Madrid and uh, or Bayern, I'm taking notes, realizing that man, Man City has got that counter in its pocket if it needs it. So, um, well, good. Well, let's go ahead and switch to the Man U Bournemouth game. Harshell, can you walk us through that, please? Yeah, and uh, as I said at the top of when we started off that this was a good week to be a United fan because yesterday's game was, again, United just um, showing that we, that the club has the attacking power and the attacking threat to blow away teams. Um, it's been, it's what, 16 games unbeaten now for, for Manchester United and they've scored 41 goals in those 16 games. That's just over two and a half goals a game. And yesterday's game, I think we... I think a lot of people are now getting on board with how 
good potentially Mason Greenwood can be, but people around the club and fans who sort of track the academy and all of that have been talking about Mason Greenwood for a while now. That he is he's one of the best players to come out of the academy, and he showed that yesterday uh, with both finishes. He is truly like you. You really don't see too many players who are adept at both feet, and he is one of them. Uh, there, uh, if you've uh, seen reports that have come out, and if you've been following him, you'll know that he's he takes set pieces with both feet. He takes penalties, free kicks, corners with both his left and his right foot. He is truly adept at scoring with either foot and I thought another thing that was interesting yesterday was the way in which Marcia Rashford and Greenwood were interchanging positions. You were seeing Greenwood pop up on the left, Rashford going out to the right, Martial also floating up, you know, across the across the, the width of the pitch. Uh, which I think these three can the, the front three that United have fielded in the past three games can really be a really uh, sort of strong platform to build the club's attacking foundation on. Uh, Rashford and Martial have now got 20 goals for the season. Uh, Greenwood's got 15 goals for the season in all competitions. So, there, there are some really exciting young players at that club where and they're being backed up by the likes of Fernandez and Pogba who are more experienced. And although I will say that we have, we have spoken about sort of goalkeeping errors and I think again David De Gea did not do himself any favours with the goal that uh, Burnmouth scored which opened the scoring Junior Stanislas's goal but uh, other than that I think it was a pretty good performance by United and they're showing that they can if not challenge for the title they're certainly going to be in the race for the top four properly next season. Dre, what, what's your take on uh, on that? Uh, I mean more more Greenwood but then also that set piece from Bruno. Um, yeah, I thought I thought all the goals that Manu scored were, were pretty clinical. Um, Greenwood, both opportunities he took very well, struck the ball very cleanly uh, towards the far post, and just too powerful for the keeper to to keep out. I mean, the first one he gets his hand on, and he, he can't keep out the net. And the second one, it's just a, it's just a great finish. Uh, Bruno. It's always uh, it's always interesting that um, free kicks from there goes to the keeper's far post and beat him. Uh, keepers, I guess, cheating again, uh, not letting the wall do its job. But um, it's just very very well placed, very well taken free kick, and uh, rounded out a, a, a strong performance from Manu. Yeah, what I, what I'm really surprised from was that he was able to that Bruno was able to get it up and down from eight, from 18 or 19 yards. You know, from 24 or 25, you could kind of expect that. And maybe I need to look at the replays and see if the wall jumped or not. But I'm just usually from the 18. I I'm thinking it's they got no shot on trying to get it up and down over the wall. I'm gonna I'm probably gonna overplay the uh, the far post because I want the and then he's gonna just try to drive it as hard as he can. But somehow Bruno got it down from 18 or 19, and and that was a head scratcher for me. Yes, I think it, at least in my opinion, I think Aaron Ramsdale's positioning was a little suspect there. He was okay. too central. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back at the replay, I think he was too central. He maybe needed to be a bit more towards the far post. Because mm-hmm. as you said, that is the likelier. I think from that sort of position, if it's a right footer, which obviously Bruno is, you would expect him to go for the far post because the near post, as you said, is just the, the, the distance is just too close for him to be able to get it up and over. Yeah. Up and down again, right? So you would expect him to go for the far post from there. So I thought Ramsdale was uh, faulty in terms of his positioning. I thought had he been maybe two or three steps to his right, he probably would have saved him. I gotcha. Good. Well, Dre, walk us through that 
the Arsenal Wolves game that that had some huge Champions League implications to it. Yeah, uh, very important game for the for the Champions League spots there. Um, Arsenal and Wolves obviously pushing to try to make it up there. Uh, I thought it was a pretty you know fairly even game. Um, Arsenal was just more clinical in the end. Uh, you know, they, they, they took the lead through a goal, uh, his first goal for Saka. Um, Tierney's been playing well, and, and he he put in a cross that was deflected and ends up on Saka's foot, and he just finishes very well. Um, and then, you know, Wolves had a couple of chances to, to tie the game, even. Uh, Damitrari thought it had the best chance of the game, where he tries to lift it over the keeper, which is probably the only real opportunity he had um, in that situation, I think. I think the keeper did a good job of covering the angles while coming out and closing in down and defenders were getting back. Um, and then the last goal was just uh, probably for me, my favorite goal of the week. Um, Lacazette, uh, after a strong one from Willock, he takes a brilliant first touch, puts it right into his path um, so that he can finish far post. I just thought the first touch on that goal was, was ridiculous. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed seeing that and I'm happy to see that they got three points. Um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and start to turn our attention to the upcoming games. And uh, with that, w- uh, staying in that vein, Dre, walk us through that Arsenal-Leicester matchup that's going to happen. Yeah, it's another another key game for Arsenal, key game for Leicester. Um, Leicester managed to get three points last time out. And uh, so I think they're both going to come into it with confidence and obviously pushing for, for those Champions League spots. And um be interesting to see, you know, how how the how the game goes. Um, I think it will probably be another fairly even game. Uh, Leicester obviously like to counter, but Arsenal have been doing a fair bit of that recently, as opposed to keeping the ball like like we like them to. So uh, I think it'll be very interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated, uh, Sam. It seems like Arsenal's defensive organization has gotten tighter this last week, and I don't know if that's a Arteta thing or things just clicking or just random chance do you have a sense because Vardy is Vardy is Vardy and and I don't know if anybody's going to be able to keep up with him how, how yeah. do you yeah Vardy is dangerous no doubt um I think we've seen kind of throughout all the teams the uh, overall improvement and just quality and organization as as the time has gone on obviously the the long break had a big effect on teams um I think Arsenal have also had so much inconsistencies kind of with their defensive partnerships um, with just so many different players playing. And that's not necessarily been at their own fault. There's been a lot of injuries and things like that. But now they've kind of um, settled into a little bit more consistency. Obviously, Arteta trusts Luis. He likes Luis. He's given him a new deal. Um, so I think that's helped kind of having some more consistency. And, yeah, I guess just time playing together. Um, yeah, I mean, Dre didn't talk about it, but obviously Arsenal fans and I think the manager will be pleased, like thrilled they got a clean sheet. I think that's even more important than them scoring goals at this point in time. So, yeah, hopefully for, for Dre's sake, they can keep building on that. Well, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think Martinez has been a big step down from Leno. Um, he, he came up with a couple of key saves uh, in the last game. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that progresses along. Harshel, can you elaborate a bit on the um, Sheffield United Wolves game, another huge Champions League fixture? I think what we've seen from Wolves against in the game against Arsenal at least was a perfect example of how they don't, I mean, teams like the mid-table sides which are pushing for uh, sort of a place in Europe, they don't have squad depth to compete with the teams at the top. You, I mean, you, I, I, at least I thought that Wolves looked a bit tired with um, 
Nuno didn't really have too many options to bring off the bench. Whereas if you look at the likes of United, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, even Arsenal to an extent, the, they have a lot more squad depth. And I think we'll sort of see that playing out a lot more over the rest of the season, especially because we have five substitutes allowed. So there's a lot more quality that can be brought onto the pitch. And we've seen that with Sheffield United as well. We've seen that with a lot of the other smaller teams as well. Burnley, for example, they've been naming two goalkeepers in their uh, substitutes and they've only been naming seven or eight substitutes other than the uh, nine that they're allowed because they just don't have the depth and that sort of thing is starting to play out a bit more. With this game, when you talk about Wolves and Sheffield United, I think um, it'll be a close one. Sheffield United will probably shade the possession battle in my opinion because Wolves do like to play on the counter and uh, I can see it being a tight one-all maybe but uh, to be honest, I think both these sides uh, Sheffield United are definitely out of the Champions League race, but even Wolves too. I think United and Chelsea are pulling away from them now. So probably a Europa League spot at best for both these sides. But again, that's something good, uh, something quite tangible for both them, both of them to try and fight for. Okay, so that you said one-one. Um, Dre, I forgot to ask you, Arsenal Leicester. What's your prediction on the match? Um, I think that I think that might tie as well. Maybe one-one. Uh, maybe two-one. Either way, I can't really. I'm an Arsenal supporter, but I can't, I can't pull for them too much right now. <laughs> I think you're right. I think 2-1 either way is probably where I would shade towards. Um, Sheffield Wolves, um, you know, my take is uh, both of those benches are kind of uh, – I don't, I don't want to say this in a disrespectful way, but they, they're, they're light. They're a bit threadbare, and it'll be interesting to see. who it, it's, It'll be a, one of attrition. Sam, what, what are your predictions on these games here, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I agree. The Arsenal Leicester one is a tough one to call. Um, just in spite of Dre, I'm going to go two one for Leicester, and then uh, I think Sheffield United Wolves is another good game, another tough one to call. Um, I think it'll be close. I don't think there'll be many goals, so I'm probably going to go two one to Sheffield United. All right, good. Zero zero. Zero zero. Wow. Good shout, actually, Dre. I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> have we actually had? I don't know. Have we? Have we had a goalless draw so far? One. I don't think there's been a nil since the Premier League's return. Maybe yeah. one. I can't remember. I think there was one. one. I think there was one. Um, so let's switch our attention to uh, to Bournemouth Tottenham, and Tottenham is sink, pretty much sinking past past uh, even Europa. But uh, but poor Bournemouth, they've. They, they need a miracle. They need how a West Ham beat Chelsea sort of thing. And I wonder if Tottenham would be that person. Arshel, what what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if you look at Burnwood's upcoming games, and we've spoken about this earlier on the podcast as well, they've got they've obviously got the game against Spurs. They've, they play Leicester. They play Man City in the next three games. Then they've got Southampton and Everton in the last two, which could be a little easier because both Southampton and Everton probably don't really have much to play for. And, they could be a little. They could have taken their foot off the gas a little bit, so that could help Burnmouth. But I mean, if they lose the next three games, they might just be technically relegated or sort of mathematically relegated by the time they get there. So they do need to pick up points from these three games. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the Spurs game could potentially be their biggest chance, or the Leicester game, depending on how Leicester's form goes. Because even Leicester have been quite shaky. They got. I mean, they they really needed the three points they picked up against Palace this weekend. Yeah. Um, in terms of tactics, uh, yeah. I, I really think uh, Mourinho needs to maybe change things up a little bit, play Lo Celso or Dele Ali as a number 10 because they're not getting a lot of midfield creativity going. 
and right. it, they have obviously they do have Kane and Son and they can pull off stuff individually but you need to get them the ball and that's not happening at the moment so what's your prediction um just to keep things interesting in the league i i'm going for the 2-1 bournemouth win very unlikely but yeah wow how about very you? unlikely but to keep things on how about you dre what what's your what's your prediction uh, i think tottenham wins handily i think 2 or 3 nil for tottenham 2 or 3 nil sam it's a tough one to predict, but I think Tottenham will be too good as well. I'll go 2 0. I'm going to go 3 1 Tottenham, even though I want Bournemouth to win. Desperately want them to win, but I just not sure that it's going to happen right now. Mojo is not there. Um, Norwich West Ham, which has some pretty significant relegation implications. Can, can West Ham lift itself out of, out of the, uh, the danger zone? Harshell? We'd spoken about this game. I mean, I remember David also saying that this game was going to be huge. But yeah. now when we come to it, Norwich and West Ham, there's a 10-point gap. Norwich are on 21 points, West Ham on 31. So, I don't think it's, I mean, in the sense that I think Norwich are down. They're, they're seven points from safety. They've got just five games to make up that gap. And West Ham, that win that we spoke about earlier against Chelsea, I think that's done more than, I think it's done enough, maybe a couple more points and they'll be safe. But uh, from a tactical point of view and from how the game is going to go, I think Norwich, if I was Daniel Farke, I'd just throw the kitchen sink at it. I'd just tell them to go out and attack. And, and that is what they are obviously good at. They are, they've shown this season that they can attack. It's the defending that's the problem. So I'd just say, just go out and attack and try and score five goals or four goals and make sure that you concede one less than you score because you're not going to be able to do much by defending. You've not been able to defend all season. and This is the only chance you have to be able to nick something from the game. So, Sam? I think it could be an entertaining one. And and so what, I'm sorry, what, what did you say the score was going to be? Um, maybe 3-2 to West Ham. 3-2 to West Ham. Sam? Yeah, I'll go 2-1 West Ham. 2-1 West Ham. Dre? Uh, I think 2-1 West Ham as well. Yeah, I think West Ham will win. I'm doing this with the heart. Um, I think that uh, that West Ham is going to get beat 2-1. to one. So, uh, David's, uh, David's not going to be happy. Yeah. Listening well, to that. <laughs> I, I, I speak the truth, especially to my friends. So, um, all right, well, let's switch to the um, Sheffield United uh, Chelsea match. Um, Harshell, what, what are the two or three things we need to care about in this game? Again, battle for European places. Chelsea are a point behind Leicester at the moment. Um, Sheffield United have fallen off with. You know, they're not really in the race for the Champions League, but the Europa League spot is up for grabs. So, another interesting game, another one that has sort of ramifications at the top end of the table. I think Chelsea will be too strong. They've, they've shown since the restart that they've been one of the better sides. Um, I think Kristin Kulisic is really turning it up and uh, he's done really well. He's scored, he's got a couple of, uh, you know, he's laid on goals for some of his teammates and he's showing the potential that. Chelsea saw in him when they made that deal. So I think he'll be too. I think Chelsea will be too strong for Sheffield United. Probably a two-nil win. Two-nil win. <laughs> I wish we knew some twenty-three or twenty-four-year-old professional players to get in their heads and figure out how to keep consistency. Can can those young guns of Chelsea keep any consistency? Dre, what, what's your take on that? Uh yeah. I mean, you just have to. You know, every game is a new game. Every day of training is a new day of training, and. Uh, just have to keep that mindset and make sure that every time you go out, you you strive to do your very best. And obviously, there are, there are obstacles in the way. There are outside factors. There are, you know 
people talking and social media and all that stuff as well. But uh, you, just, you just go out every single day and, and start fresh and try your very best. And I think that helps. That helps a lot. Yeah. How about you, Sam? What's your take? Yeah, I agree with what Dre said. Um, obviously, there's a lot of external factors, but you just have to control what you can control. And I think if you prepare in a consistent way for each and every every day, every game, every training, then hopefully you'll uh, kind of be able to put in consistent performances. Um, yeah, I think it's been great seeing Pulisic has kind of be, become more consistent. He's become a really consistent contributor for Chelsea. And I think he looks like, when you watch the games, one of their kind of go-to guys at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops and whether you can kind of keep that up. Um, I will tell you, I, I think you, you hit a great point on process is really trying to focus on the process. And I know you're, you're, uh, a big fan of, of Klopp and that's what he really focuses on a lot and his approach to things. You know, I love how he said this week that they're not going to try to defend the title. They're going to attack yeah. the title, uh, where you don't play not to lose, you play to win always. And, um, I find that to be as useful in football as it is in doing startups and life in general. Um, so you have to Chris, play to win. Uh, before we go on to the next, if there's another game we're previewing, I just I have a question for Sam and Dre because obviously they play the game. Uh, you guys have obviously got the um, season starting up again. Do you think, and I'm saying this with, in context of the Premier League as well, do you think it's easier when there's a run of games where you maybe play like four games in 15 days or something like that, as a player to sort of have that sort of rhythm where you're playing a game, then you got training and then you're playing a game again in two, three days or the normal, or is the normal pace of the season where there are times where you might be playing, you know, a game a week, is that easier or do you think having such a quick turnaround of games is better for you as young players, as guys, as, and in terms of, you know, keeping your consistency in terms of performance? For me personally, I think I probably would prefer the kind of the rhythm of, of playing a game a week. Um, the reason that I say that is because it allows you time on the training field. I think when you have a game coming every other day or every three days, you don't, it's kind of recovery and then there's not much time to train. Um, but it, it also depends, you know, like if you've lost a game, then you're super excited. You want to get, get back out there as soon as possible. So I think there's pluses and minuses to both. Um, yeah, I kind of like having a, a schedule, a consistent routine, but that's just me personally. I don't know what, what Dre thinks. I was, it's, it's a very interesting question. I've never actually thought about it. And uh, I don't know. I think I kind of like when, they, when the games come a little bit quicker, I think, because then it seems like, I don't want to say it seems like it's all one game necessarily, but like it's just it's right after another and you just kind of keep that same flow and that, that, can't, that same rhythm and, and it doesn't necessarily get interrupted as much as it would when you have a full week of training. So I, I think I'd probably prefer if the games were a little bit quicker. Interesting. Yes, there's no definitive answer, how show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I guess, I guess we'll see once you guys get back on the pitch yeah. what, um, what works out for you guys. Mm-hmm. So um, what's your prediction, Harshell, on the... Um, the Sheffield United Chelsea game. What's the scoreline? I'd say two 0 Chelsea. Dre, three 0 Chelsea. Uh, Sam, four 0 Chelsea. Nah, <laughs> I think Chelsea will win. I'll go three one. I'm going to go three two Chelsea. So, um, all right. Well, let's let's turn our attention to the last game that we're going to preview, uh, which is the Tottenham Arsenal. Um, Dre, can you walk us through that? What do you expect to see? Yeah. Um... Obviously, the game's important for, you know, again, top four spots. Uh, Tottenham's a bit further behind, obviously, but Arsenal's still pushing for it. But even with that aside, uh, North London derbies are, are very huge games regardless of what's at stake. So 
I think it's going to be a, um, a game everybody's up for, a very feisty game. kind of think it can go either way. I mean, right now Tottenham's struggling a bit more. Arsenal's won, I think, four games in a row, right, Sammy? So uh, I think <laughs> we're doing quite well right now. Um, I think I'll have Arsenal maybe 2-1, 2-1 in that game. Sam, what's your take? Yeah, I got to agree with my friend Dre here. I think Tottenham, uh, I just don't know what to say about them at this point in time. I think they're really struggling for an identity. Um, I think Arsenal uh, are figuring things out. So, yeah, I like his, his shot at 2-1. Um, I'll go for 1-0 to the Gunners. Harshal? Um, I'm going to go the other way. Obviously, just to provide a bit of contrarian opinion here, because as much as, I mean, I think Mourinho doesn't really have it um, at the top level, I mean, to succeed at the top level consistently, but I think he still pulls it out for these big games. And I think, obviously, the North London Derby, huge game. Um, I think he'll pull something out of the hat, and I think Spurs will edge it, just because of him and his experience of uh, having managed big teams in these sort of big matches. So I'm probably going to go 2-1 to Spurs. I'm going to go in the other direction. I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal. Uh, you know, I really think that the Tottenham defense as you know, with Dyer um, as that center back is needs a little more Dyer. time. Needs some reps in. Uh, needs some reps in. I, I'm not, I'm not ready to throw Dyer under the bus. I think he needs to get some reps in and kind of see where things go um, because he is playing in a, fairly new position um so uh we're gonna see where, where things go with that so um uh three one you heard it from me first guys uh so i'd like to turn our attention to um what the run-in's gonna look like here so as you guys can see basically man U has got a nice little set of of matches that they're gonna have to um to work through here. They've got the easiest schedule. I will say that Wolves also seem to have an easy schedule, right? Uh, the cut, if it's at zero where Man U is sitting, Leicester is three points above it. Chelsea's two. Wolves are minus three. Arsenal's a surprising minus six. Sheffield's a minus seven and Tottenham's a minus 10. Uh, so if, if Man U and Wolves have the easiest schedule going forward, uh, Chelsea's going to have to play, um, uh, some Liverpool uh, along the path. Do keep in mind um, these do reflect um, some of the um, the uh, FA Cup um, semifinal games because I do think it's going to have an impact on on um, their Premier League performance. The folks are going to have it the hardest are going to be um, uh, Arsenal. Uh, they're going to have a tough go at it uh, as well with particularly with uh, Leicester, Tottenham, Liverpool. That's that's a murderer's row right there. And then Sheffield's going to have their hands full with the Wolves, Chelsea, and Leicester um, in there. So um, any any thoughts on that, guys? Um, I think, as we said earlier, United have an easy schedule. And uh, although these, again, we spoke, we've seen earlier how United can struggle against smaller teams. But if, I mean, the Brighton and the Burnmouth game show that they might just be able to uh, have the sort of creative uh, ability and obviously the finishing ability to be able to beat these teams as well as they were beating the likes of City and Liverpool and Spurs and all of those big teams. So, yeah, I mean, I think earlier it might have been a bit of a concern that because United weren't really doing well against the smaller teams, but if you look at the current run of form, uh, I think United might just be able to sneak 
even above Chelsea. But it's going to be a fight, real fight down to the last game, I think. And, and that uh, semi-final is also going to be really, really tough. United have beaten Chelsea, I think, thrice this season. Twice in the league and uh, in the in the Carabao Cup. Mm-hmm. So, Solskjaer will want to obviously carry that on in that record on where and do a sort of clean sweep over Chelsea. I so got that FA Cup that FA Cup semi is also looking really, really, really sort of intriguing and fun. Dre, does anything jump off the page for you on on, on this? Um, yeah, the fact that Arsenal's in yellow and not red, I don't really like that. <laughs> but, but, um, no, I think I think the table stays pretty much like this. I think maybe Arsenal jumps over Wolves. But yeah, other than that, I think it stays just just about like this. I think it's smooth sailing for Manu all the way out. Um, Chelsea's been playing well, so I think I think they'll keep that that run of form, and I think everything everything just stays just like this. <laughs> okay, so that means that Leicester, Chelsea, and Man U stay up with Liverpool. Um, mm-hmm. Sam, do you have a, any different opinions? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned for Leicester. I think they have uh, they have some difficult games. They're kind of not in a great run of form. I think there's potential for them to to slip a little bit. Obviously, they're position pretty well right now um so that i think they'll be an interesting team to follow whether they can kind of hang on um, maybe towards the end of the season and kind of looking at the fixtures i i wonder if wolves can maybe maybe put a run together um i think that may be a a wild card so we'll have to wait and see um but yeah i agree i don't think there'll be too much movement but i think there's there's still some twists and turns to come yeah i think you bring up a good point i mean arsenal's coming back into form leicester's playing arsenal they're playing Sheffield United and they're playing Tottenham. Um, yeah. so, um, and then they've got Man U uh, at the end. And the only um, fairly easy match or perceived match would be Bournemouth. So um, we'll see what happens there. Um, so let's have a quick look at, um, at the, what's happening at the bottom of the table. Uh, and can y'all see the, um, can y'all see that? Uh, so really kind of the key, the key takeaways are Brighton seems to have done a, a really fantastic job, um, in the, in the last, uh, couple of weeks or so with a couple of key signature wins, they're nine, nine points above, um, West Ham is clawing their way. They're kind of at three points. Um, and Watford is just above the cut one point above Bournemouth and Aston Villa are tied. Uh, and then um, Norwich is six points behind. Um, as far as uh, fixtures going forward, the folks that have it the easiest are West Ham, which will have uh, difficult games with Burnley and Man U, but then they're playing um, Norwich, Watford, and Aston Villa. Those are going to be flat-out, head-to-head, must-win uh, sort of games. Um, while is it the folks that have it the hardest are the, are the poor cherries uh, who are going to have to play Tottenham, Leicester and Man City uh, before they finish up with Southampton and Everton. So they've got um, really tough schedule. They're playing top of the table and kind of the uh, 10 to 15 range uh, teams there. Um, Harshel, what's your take on, on the relegation situation? Yeah, um, as you said, Brighton have done more than enough. I don't think they're going to be in trouble. West Ham also, I think that win against Chelsea has really given them the points they needed and a couple of points more and they'll be safe, I think. And they do have a pretty easy schedule in terms of the positioning of the teams, but obviously Norwich and Watford and even Aston Villa are all in the bottom three, as we can see, and they're going to be fighting for points. So they're not, I don't think they're going to be easy games as such. 
but yeah, a win. I think a win in any of these games, so West Ham and they're safe completely. I don't think they need to be worried. They just need to pick up one win, I think. And then it comes down to Watford, Burnmouth and Aston Villa because I think Norwich have left it too late. Um, unless they can pull a rabbit out of the hat, they can. Unless I think they they need to win their next two games. If you look, they're playing Watford and West Ham, who are direct sort of rivals for relegation. If they can win those two games, then they're right back in it. But if not, then I think Norwich are done, and then it's just two out of Watford, Burnmouth, and Aston Villa, and who can sort of pull, pull out a win somewhere or pull out a couple of draws and all of that. Sam, do you have any any thoughts on on the relegation battle? Yeah, I tend to agree with uh, a lot of what Harshal said. I think Brighton are going to be safe. I think Norwich have probably done for. Um, so, yeah, I think West Ham will also probably, with their kind of fortuitous or a little easier schedule, um, I think they'll be able to, to stay up. So, I think it really comes down to a three-horse race for kind of two, well, one uh, one spot for safety between Watford, uh, Bournemouth and Aston Villa, which will be the interesting watch. I think, yeah, it was Harshal, Harshal made a great point that um, – just because a game looks easy on paper, I think when teams are really fighting for relegation at the end of the season, then it's a, it's a tough game and uh, there's so much on the line that these games become really difficult. So it's hard to predict. Um, yeah, but it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Good. Dre, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's extremely unpredictable, actually. I mean, I'm looking at, for example, West Ham's schedule. Obviously, they're playing three teams that are right down here with them. and Those games are going to be extremely difficult because both teams are fighting you know for those points that are very important um i think brighton's safe yeah uh yeah I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it plays out because with these teams all playing each other you, you never know what's going to happen you, you you have no idea who's going to come out ready on the day and, and who might not so um very interesting couple of weeks we have ahead of us here good good well so as we begin to wrap up the podcast i'm curious you know we're, we're two weeks in we've got about three weeks left um a lot of football i will tell you i'm a little surprised that um there haven't been more injuries uh, i would have thought this week uh the rubber would have hit the road um so i'm really curious to see what's going to happen um this week um vis-a-vis injuries i am going to keep an eye on those near post goals um as as you guys have uh, are alerting me towards um and it'll be interesting to see the first week it seemed like defense defenses seem to have the the mild advantage uh, i'm curious to see if fatigue's going to start setting in uh where it's it's more about men not getting picked up than than anything else just out of flat flat out fatigue um i think as far as other storylines the man use um, offense, will they be able to keep their consistency along with Chelsea? Because I'm, I will tell you, I am very excited about the youth movement at Chelsea and Man U as a neutral. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I will tell you guys, an X factor is going to be if you believe Pep, who thinks that um, Man City will be vindicated, then all of a sudden there's one less spot for everybody and uh, man you might be outside of the uh, fishbowl when it comes to that um harshell do you have any kind of storylines that you're going to be keeping an eye on this week so as a as a united fan obviously i'm gonna I'm, i've been happy with how the week has gone and i'm gonna as you said keep an eye on how united are doing and obviously that attack which has suddenly clicked and 
be scoring a bunch of goals and um, got some really good young players doing that. So, and again, as you said, Pep seems really confident that you know that City are going to be um, vindicated and that they're going to win their appeal against their Champions League band. So, then it comes down to fourth place, and fifth place might not be enough. Although United are still in the Europa League, which is going to play out in August, and the winners of the Europa League also get a spot in the Champions League. So, there is that to consider as well. But that's in August once the Premier League is done. So, in terms of Premier League storylines, yeah, I think Leicester um, are struggling. They did did pick up a much needed win, but they were really struggling before that. And I think there might just be a chance that they slip out if Chelsea and United can keep their form up. And otherwise, in terms of the delegation battle, as Sam mentioned earlier, some of these games when they play against when teams that are in there and are playing against each other, anything can happen. And with VAR, with sort of all of that going on as well. You could, I think it's going to be a dramatic end to the season. We could see some things happen which we didn't expect and uh, maybe some teams which probably looked to get, uh, sort of didn't look like having any hope might just be able to put a run together and get out of there. So I'm looking for that sort of thing to happen. Right. Well, I, I hope that uh, the good Lord is listening to what you're saying with respect to Norwich. So we'll see what happens. But um, Dre, what, what, what storylines do you think you're going to be drawn towards in the, in the next week? I'm just mostly paying attention to VAR, I think. I think VAR has been huge, particularly this week. And I think going forward, as obviously, you know, decisions have to be made, people are really interested to see how that's going to go. So I think particularly in, like, handball situations, I wasn't too happy about how that went this week. Um, the Luka situation for Tottenham, uh, Foden for City against Liverpool, really would have liked to see that be 5-0. But, um, yeah, I think it will be really, really important going forward how, how VAR is handled. Nice. Sam? Yeah, I think Dre makes a really interesting point there. I'll be following that along as well. Um, personally, kind of looking to see how Liverpool respond after their unfortunate uh, experience with the Etihad. Um, I think Klopp will have them come back raring to go. Um, and then, yeah, just following the, the race for the Champions League places and also the relegation. So I think there's kind of a lot happening at both ends of the table and kind of every game counts at this point in time. So... Yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to lots more soccer this week. Yeah, we've got a, a lot going on. I know the Champions League schedules have been, and Europa League schedules have been uh, released recently. And wow, from the 12th to the 23rd or so, I mean, that's a lot of very, very high-level football that's going to be played. So um, in the meantime, we're going to enjoy uh, a lot of um, high-level football uh, next week. Um, there are going to be some interesting matches that come. So, um, well, let, that wraps up our podcast today. Um, we would like to thank Total Football Analysis. They are the world's largest open source soccer analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com. Join us next week. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.